This episode of Books and Boba is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving. As your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage. From setting up a personal checking account, to refinancing household debt, to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need. Because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. You're listening to... And welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Mervyn Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today with an author interview with Chloe Gong, the author of the upcoming novel, These Violent Delights, uh, which is a fantasy retelling of Romeo and Juliet set in 1920s Shanghai, uh, a time period filled with gangsters, political unrest, and also monsters. Um, yeah, Rira, you and I both read this arc before talking to Chloe. Uh, what are your thoughts about it? Um, I, um, because this is like based on Romeo and Juliet. Obviously, I went in with uh, some expectations, some of um, some tropes in mind, and I think Chloe did a really good job adapting the story and making the characters her own. And the fight scenes are really fantastic in this book. I. You know, I really enjoyed it overall. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. fight scenes are something that, especially in like Shakespearean plays, um, maybe this is just me, but they never really translated well in my brain. But the way that Chloe wrote it in her book is so vivid; it's really awesome. I really enjoyed this book as well. Um, longtime listeners of um, the podcast should know that this setting is one of my favorite settings in all of fiction. It's one that I wish was. Um, appeared more often in western literature um but it's kind of like this is the gangland like prohibition era chicago of chinese fiction and i really really enjoyed the story um chloe was a great interview we had a really great conversation about her inspirations um writing the book her uh, experiences at adapting romeo and juliet and also her her background as as one of the newest members of this emerging trend of like super young talented published authors that are emerging from from the asian diaspora uh, yeah so here's our interview with uh, chloe gong and i hope you guys enjoy and hey everyone we're here with chloe gong the author of the upcoming book these violent delights on books and boba welcome to the show chloe hello thank you for having me <laughs> so Right off the bat, I want to say that I am just in awe of your accomplishments and congratulations <laughs> on publishing your first book while still in college. I feel like Thank you. there's this new generation of just 
amazing authors who are just doing it. Gen Z <laughs> authors really killing it in the YA genre. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm pumping you up right now, but how does it feel to be this accomplished at this early in life? Oh my because God. I would really like to know. Well, first of all, you can't see me, but now I'm blushing because, <laughs> wow, that's that's so kind. Um, I don't know. I don't think of myself as, like, particular, like, not to downplay myself, but it's it's very much, like, it's just this thing that I've always wanted to do. And it's almost just something that, like, it, it's, like, unthinkable to me to even, like, not be writing. So just to be published now is just kind of this, like, step that I've, like, it, it naturally has just seemed like something I'm like pursuing. So it's when people are like, oh my God, like how are you like in college and publishing? I'm like, I just, I can't even imagine not like always writing. So publishing just seems like the natural thing that I'm doing now. I have to say, um, because you're majoring in English, right? Uh, mm-hmm. At uh, University of Pennsylvania. Uh, you're mm-hmm. one of the very few authors that I've talked to who actually studied English in, in college. <laughs> I feel like most people that we've interviewed on the show, they've worked in finance, they went to law school, and then they found, <laughs> like, they suppressed that writing dream until, you know, they couldn't hold it in anymore. Well, so I, mean, I find it pretty amazing that you just, <laughs> yeah, like, kept I mean, it up. <laughs> there's context there, right? Because... This is a podcast for Asian Asian American authors. <laughs> and for at least for those from our generation, Rira and my generation, that was a dream that we stereotypically maybe had to keep suppressed, right? Yeah. Like so I, I'm a double major with English and international relations. So even though like my parents have been very supportive in saying like, oh yeah, like English is a great major. <laughs> Anytime they're reporting to my relatives what I study in college, it's Oh yeah, she studies international relations. She's gonna get a job in international relations. It's like English just goes out the window, and I'm like, okay, you know what? It, it's fine. We we can ignore it if we want for now. I'll I'll keep doing my thing in school. <laughs> I mean, well, now you're an author, and that's an actual occupation. Yeah, you've made money <laughs> writing, so yeah, it's real now. <laughs> that's the validation to the Asian relatives making money. <laughs> So how did you get started in writing? Uh, I'm guessing that you uh, started writing at a very young age since you're still young yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I started very early. I started um, the, at the end of my first year of high school, I started writing honestly, mostly as just like a hobby. Like I didn't think of it as this like big thing to pursue. It was, it was very much just like, I was bored. I had nothing better to do. Um, I, I was babysitting my sister a lot because my sister is 12 years younger than me. So at the start of high school, I was always like sitting with her. She took naps and like I had nothing better to do because I couldn't make any noise. And I was like, oh, I've run out of books to read. So why don't I just write my own? <laughs> so that was just kind of how like it honestly just started from there. Like all throughout high school, I was always just writing like something random. Like I didn't think of it as like, writing a book I was just thinking of it as like telling myself stories so like throughout all that like I was just practicing a lot I guess and so by the time I like got to college I was like wow maybe I know how to write a book surprising (laughs) well what kind of stories did you used to write because um these vine delights is a pretty cool I mean and we'll talk about the book a little bit later but it's a really cool mashup of a lot of genres and a lot of different concepts and 
you can tell that you have probably a wide range of interests in a lot of different types of stories. What kind of stories were you writing when you were when you were getting started? Mm. Yeah, I think it definitely with these wild lights being a mishmash of genres. I think it definitely shows in the fact that like I used to write like everything and I consume everything. So I feel like the only like the only thing that is like constant throughout everything I create was that they were YA because like as like I guess a literal child writing like the only thing that I knew how to write were like teenagers my age or maybe like one or two years older because like when I was writing like at 15 I was like reading books about like 17 year olds I was like wow 17 year olds are so cool I want to write about them too so like that was really the only like constant theme but like it was wild. I started out writing a, um, so the first like technically manuscript that I wrote was a like YA paranormal. And it's really interesting because I can like trace all the stories I was writing with what was like currently like trendy on shelves. So like the first two books I wrote were paranormals because um, it was the age of twilight or like, it was like the age right after twilight got big. So it was like, Fallen by Lauren Kay, like Hush Hush, um, a lot of those, like The Summoning by Kelly Armstrong, like a lot of those, like average girl discovers she has superpowers slash average girl, like meets an immortal, like man creature. I shouldn't say man. That's kind of creepy. Like an immortal love interest. Those, those kind of stories. And then, um, after the YA paranormal age was dystopian. So I had an, I had a dystopian story, like following that boom. And then we hit like the YA fantasy kind of like big burst as well. So I had like three YA high fantasies. So it was very much like, I, I almost want to say These Violent Flights was the first book I actually wrote that I wasn't like highly influenced by like the market with because it was the first book I was actually taking seriously whereas the previous ones I was kind of just like telling myself stories and like going off of what other things I was really enjoying and like trying to make it my own that's amazing though um so why don't you tell us a little bit about these violent delights okay um these violent delights is a Romeo and Juliet retelling set in 1920s Shanghai and it is about a 18-year-old girl who's the heir of the Scarlet Gang, who's one of the two um, most powerful gangs in Shanghai at this time. And she comes back into the city after spending four years in New York, where she was educated. Um, and once she comes back, she realizes that there are some strange things happening in the city because there are these rumors of madness like killing her gangsters there's rumors of a monster that's terrorizing the city and as more and more people start dying in her gang she has to work with the heir of the rival gang the white flowers who also happens to be her ex-boyfriend from four years ago and they have to set their grudges aside and set their guns aside to work together and find out the truth about what is happening to their city before everyone dies which would be really bad <laughs> so um like you said, this book is uh, inspired by Romeo and Juliet. Um, and there have been so many adaptations of the play. Mm. Um, I'm guessing that Romeo and Juliet is your favorite Shakespearean play because um, 
you know, this is this is your debut novel. Yes, it it's like it's my favorite in the sense that I really like the language and the story. Like, I really love what Shakespeare did with it. Like, I think he really did something. But I, I would say that I can't really pick like a like a favorite Shakespeare in the sense of like, oh, this is just the one that I love the most because I think he was so versatile and that he was doing so many different things with his plays, if that made sense. Yeah. I mean, I thought this was a really interesting take on the Romeo and Juliet tale because, you know, typically Romeo and Juliet from the original text was about these two young lovers who fall in love at first sight and kind of make really rash decisions um, because um, they're in that high of like first love. But your story takes place after that, right? In a world where they didn't mm-hmm. kill themselves after their first encounter and are actually like jaded ex-lovers who are now like cynical of the world. Um, mm-hmm. What uh, what was the inspiration to like take that route in, in this um, story of the star-crossed lovers? I think it was that I've always read like Romeo and Juliet as this like commentary on like love and hate and like family in a sense since like the blood feud is one of the like big things in the original play. So I think while a lot of other adaptations have gone like more the like love and what you do for it kind of angle, I also thought that there was this interesting part of it that like a lot of people have really ignored about like the hatred and the like like what like the thin line between love and hate is sort of really what was going like what it was there like like literally just the other day i saw this random tweet that was like real life romeo and juliet get married after italian quarantine and i was like did you read romeo and juliet like if they got married that's not real life romeo and juliet they didn't die right but like not not that not that they're gonna die at the end of this book. I, I, you know, it's a retelling after all. But anyway, um, it's so like when I approached the story, I was like, I do want to take these elements of like fielding families and like the extent to which like hatred acts upon like people who don't really have a reason to hate each other, and then kind of go from there. Because then I pull in a lot of other things about like the foreigners and like people you actually have reason to hate. And I was like, this would be interesting to look at side by side. Yeah. Did you have a lot of fun? Because I noticed a lot of nods to the original um, text in the story. I mean, there's still a masquerade ball. There's a nurse. There's a... Mercutio and Benvolio. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely had a lot of fun dropping Easter eggs. Because, I mean, like, I'm an English major after all. And (laughs) I was taking a Shakespeare class like as I was revising it so it was like I had like even though I'm trying to tell a good story first and foremost I have all this like knowledge in me about like symbolism and like <laughs> foreshadowing and all that so I was like I am gonna use my English degree it is coming in here but yeah like all the places where I could like drop direct lines from the play but then like reimagine it in a different context or all the places where I could like give little nods, like motifs and symbols. It was just, I was living like, <laughs> this is what an English major loves. <laughs> yeah. When I first heard about your book, when we, um, I think we did an announcement when it was first um, announced on Publishers Weekly, but I was drawn into it because 1920s Shanghai is probably one of my favorite settings. Um, it's one that's used a lot in like, you know, Chinese dramas and like mm. Chinese movies, but 
it's a really fascinating time because 1920s Shanghai is such an interesting place, right? It's a it's a city that is lauded internationally as like this Herald Orient, right? The, this international city, mm-hmm. but it's that way because of imperialism and and mm-hmm. like encroaching <laughs> Western influence. It's such an interesting time because it's a setting that is you know more palatable to Western sensibilities because. Um, mm. there's a lot of you know Absolutely. like people wearing suits and mm-hmm. you know organized crime mm-hmm. and flappers and clubs <laughs> um but it's also a time of like great historical significance in chinese history um mm-hmm. what made you want to set your story in this era of shanghai yeah no absolutely because so all of my family before my parents immigrated with me when i was two like them they are from shanghai and then all of my family like extended wise they're still there and they were all from shanghai so i grew up like hearing a lot about like the way that the city used to be like not necessarily from my parents themselves but they had a lot of interest in how it was as well so they would be like you know this is the culture this was what like this this everything that just comes from like just casual dinner table conversations i guess that i've like sort of picked up so i've always known like vaguely about like how interesting like the 1920s and 30s in Shanghai was but it wasn't until like I decided that I wanted to write something set in the roaring 20s and then also set in Shanghai that I really did research and then like actually discovered like the extent of it so like while initially I was like yeah I want something with like the flappers aesthetic something with like the gold and the glitter and then I was like well I want to root it in like the culture that I came from and I want to like really examine a lot of like things about identity so that's like how it got mashed together and then I actually did research and I was like wow like this was wild like the western influence on it is like it completely like makes the identity of the city back then so it was just like to write a story set the it was it it did really seem perfect for what I, like what I was trying to do like in terms of talking about like a girl who is really influenced by the west and now she's trying to grapple with like a return to the east but also like all this commentary about like colonialism and imperialism and like shanghai just seemed like it it like the city was literally embodying a lot of the things that i was trying to hit so it was it was just this like perfect culmination of everything i guess <laughs> yeah. yeah i think it came like really well together um because like uh in in the original shakespeare play it's set during a blood feud and i think mm. dur- like because 1920 shanghai um like you have colonialism and imperialism you have all of these different ethnic groups and they all want the slice they all want a slice of the pie so I think mm. it was really like a perfect mashup um, from the original text and like the historical context of Shanghai at the time. Yeah. I mean, so I also have family in Shanghai. Uh, my family, before we were, um, uh, we, we moved to Taiwan after the Civil War, um, is from Ningbo, which Ooh. is, you know, the, the, a city pretty close to Shanghai. Um, oh, my grandma's family's from there. Oh, yeah? Cool. Yeah. Um, I've actually met a bunch of people from that area um, here in, in the States. It's, it's crazy, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've only visited China in, you know, the last few decades. And, you know, going there now, 
places like the Bund, um, which is still like, you know, the, the big like financial center and the places like the French mm-hmm. concession, they're kind of more touristy spots or commercial areas, but being able to explore it as it might have been back in the 20s through your book was really amazing because you can see how like, yeah, like the reason there's Western architecture here was because people decided that, oh, this is now mine and, you know, decided mm-hmm. to take it from the Chinese. And this is right after, you know, the opium wars where the whole country was kind of humiliated by like Western power. Right. So it was really as as someone with ties to the to the city, to me, it was a little moving to like be able to explore it from a um, the perspective of Juliet, who, you know, you write as she's kind of like a third culture kid, right? She was born mm-hmm. in Shanghai, but raised in New York. So in essence, she's almost Asian American too, or Asian diaspora, because she yeah. does have like a Western perspective on things and has to grapple with her identity everywhere, right? You know, you write her as someone who can't fit in anywhere because she's in between cultures. Did you also base some of that on your own experiences? I think so. I think when I set out to write Juliet, it was like, even though like she might not technically be like diaspora, like a lot of us are like in the sense that she didn't immigrate out and she came back. Mm-hmm. It's, it was definitely like that sort of narrative that I was trying to like draw her up with because it's that sense where like she is too Chinese for the West, but too Western like for China. And I think like a lot of us are kind of like trapped in that like in between zone where it's like well I can't even be either of it properly because it's like it's like it's it's even worse for a lot of like actual immigrants because it's like I can't even speak the mother language that well like at least Juliet knows all those languages really well well she Um, speaks like what like at least 10 languages I feel like in this book (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah which is actually like that was wild because people like the elite in the 20s really just learned so many languages like for the fun of it and like as i was writing this book too like i speak some of them like i speak french i learned some like russian as i was writing it but then there were just some parts where i was like i just i hope this is right and if it's not then we can pretend (laughs) but like that yeah that was completely a tangent what was i talking about oh right right (laughs) um yeah so like I even though like maybe Juliet's not like a complete reflection of the diaspora experience but I knew that my readers like as a young adult book I knew my readers were going to be like teenagers and I really wanted to reach Asian teenagers who would like finally see themselves like reflected on shelves because like even now like like diversity in young adult literature is getting better but it's still like like Asian American narratives are nowhere near like white American narratives that get like the whole spectrum represented out there. So I was like, you know, if I can like, if I can reach a young Asian reader who is finally seeing like themselves and their feelings reflected in a character that they can like admire in the book, then that's something that I absolutely want to do. Yeah. And I mean, Julia is such a badass character in this book. She's, because she's not only dealing with, you know, the cultural stuff, but, she's, um, but I mean, she's not only dealing with like the cultural stuff of being, you know, a Western educated Chinese, but she's also dealing with, you know, Chinese patriarchy, which is a huge thing um, mm-hmm. in, in our culture. <laughs> and also the fact that she's a very capable fighter, right? Your action scenes in this book, there are quite a few and they're all really well written and very like vivid. And, you know, you really see her do like action girl stuff, which is really awesome. Um yeah. <laughs> was that something you had to you know learn to write or were you always you know 
Like, how did you approach the action scenes in this book? Yeah, did you uh, <laughs> did you watch uh, Romeo Must Die or, <laughs> or any like gangster films growing up that helped you write the action scenes? Surprisingly, I haven't consumed as much like gangster media. Um, I think a lot of it definitely comes from like previous like YA books that I've read because like girl with sword is like a huge YA trope like the the badass girl who like you know uproots a kingdom whatever like leads the rebellion all of that but like you know they're always white so I was like I mean I'm gonna write Juliet and she's gonna be Chinese but she's not gonna be like the usual like docile east asian like girl that people put in their narratives when it's not written by like an actual member of the diaspora i was like you know she's gonna have the personality that other YA fantasy protagonists have been allowed to have this past decade and she's also gonna be chinese so it was it was very much like i'm i was just gonna i was gonna give ya what it needed but i think that's, funnily enough, the few things I did watch was, um, have you guys seen uh, Captain America Winter Soldier? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the the highway scene where Steve, was it Steve or Bucky who flips the knife? Either way, there's a really cool scene where they do a knife flip. And I watched it like 20 times to describe it, right? <laughs> and I think it ended up getting cut in the end. So like oh, no. that was, Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the fact that you, st- uh, even though Juliet is this badass character who, you know, can, you know, she can wield a pistol and fight, she was still very feminine. And mm-hmm. she is very self aware. She knows that um, her looks, you know, she needs to keep up appear- appearances and she uses her socialite persona to get what she wants. And I thought that was like a really. Um, I, I thought that was like really fitting, especially for the setting uh, when, you know, women, they don't have that many rights, even if they're elite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I definitely went into that like intentionally in trying to, it was like a commentary on the way like Eastern beauty standards work, but it was also like, I didn't necessarily want to villainize it because like we get enough of that in Western media, but it's also the sort of thing that like it was my responsibility as well to like comment on it and not just like brush it under the rug because like like there's a huge like colorism problem in like East Asia, Asian media at large as well. So I was like, this is something that I want to like pin down on and it's something that Juliet knows and she's aware of and like something that molds her personality in the sense that she knows that if she didn't look like this, if she didn't act the way that she does, she would not have the power that she does have. So it's like, it it was just, it was so interesting to build her character in the sense that she has this immense amount of privilege and then she also doesn't and seeing how that like goes. I also liked her, um, because she comes from New York at 15 and then she goes back and then she returns when she's 18 years old. And when she mm-hmm. first comes to um, Shanghai as a 15 year old, she rejects everything that is like special about Shanghai. She She's like, I'm only going to wear American dresses. 
mm-hmm. Shanghai fashion is inferior. And then now that she's 18, she she's like, okay, I've calmed down a bit. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like I don't really that I, I don't really have the superiority complex about Western mm. fashion being more superior or Western education being more superior. Um, and I think that is, even, even though it's set in the 20s, I think it's a sentiment that a lot of Asian American uh, <laughs> diaspora, Asian diasporans go through now. Yeah, no, absolutely. That was something where it was like, it's this like internalized hatred that I feel like so many diaspora have to work through. Like it's the sense that like, oh, well, I don't have like an accent, so I'm better than the people who do. And then it's kind of like, a lot of people still get stuck in that like mindset because they're so like they want so badly to be accepted in Western society and they want to show like the rest of Western society that they are Western and they're not like those other like Asian people. And I mean, it's definitely like a toxic mindset that like a lot of people then work through and they're like, well, actually, like I can accept the culture that I came from and I there are like good things about it that I don't have to like submit myself to the western like the western um perception of what like a good Asian person has to be and that was definitely something that I gave Juliet also to work through in the sense that when she comes back at first she's like oh well I'm not like any of these other people like I can speak English now I'm educated now but it's like that's it's it's like internalized colonialism. So it was something that was important to me to write in. Uh, we talked a lot about Juliet, but I do want to touch uh, a little bit about um, a, a little bit on Roma. Um, I was surprised that he was Russian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of ethnic groups in Shanghai at mm-hmm. this time, but for some reason, uh, because, you know, Romeo and Juliet, like opposite sides of, um, of a feud, I was like, okay, th- she could have easily made Roma communist because there was a lot <laughs> of, <laughs> there was a lot of like political animosities. I- I'm just curious as to like, why did you decide uh, to make Roma part of this Russian um, diaspora. I think in that, so it's interesting because the book kind of has like two threads going on in the sense that there's the Scarlet Gang and the White Flowers battling out the blood feud. And then there's also the nationalists and the communists um, like having their own little spiff more in the background. So because this book is like, it's a duology now. So book two is going to end the story, but it was actually originally one big manuscript before um, it sold to Simon Schuster. And it was my editor at the time I was working with um, who, who's also Chinese American. She's since moved. So I have a different edit now, but my first editor actually had the idea of splitting it into two and making the first half more of the monster and the blood feud and working together and then the second half is more like the blood feud and the politics sort of. So that's what's coming next year. But originally it was um, when it was still one big story, it was more like clear from the very get go that politics and the gangs would soon kind of like merge together. So even at the end of book one, there are like things about um, the Scarlet Gang working together with the nationalists. So the the way that they would eventually split is that like 
the communists and the white flowers will soon kind of like be that they have some like a hint towards book two is that they they have something to do with each other even if they're not like completely on the same side so it was like while Roma's not an outright communist um the way that like I was splitting the sides it was definitely like a communist nationalist kind of like parallel to it but I also think like in making him like just a Russian gang it was almost like a um like a rejection not a rejection that's not the right word either it was I always joke that this book is like the most anti-American book you could probably find on shelves (laughs) especially coming out like November while there's an American election going on and the way I'm selling it is like hey guys you want to pick up a love story between a Chinese person and a Russian person the whole cast is just Chinese and Russian great for your American reading <laughs> but it, yeah it was it, it seems like the most like I I was trying to get away from like any sense of a love story between like oppressor and oppressed because I hate it when people are like oh this is a forbidden romance story and actually it's just between like an oppressed group and their oppressors so I was like the the more I can make the you know Juliet and Roma on completely equal ground the more I'm actually making my point about a blood feud having like completely no rhyme or reason and I guess I could have made um the white flowers a Chinese gang too it probably wouldn't have made like any difference in my themes it seemed more like the more like i can draw in from other like groups who were being like suppressed at this time of like 1920s imperialism like i was looking at all the places of like communist revolts and then i was looking at like imperial western powers so like the the russian part of him came out from the sense that it was more like down with imperialism <laughs> commentary really yeah, I mean, you know, you can't tell a story about 1920s Shanghai without, or 1920s China without talking about the, you know, schism between the, the nationalists and the, the communist party, right? Because this is when it first started like really heating up. But also, mm. I mean, during this time, it was like, it was right after the Bolshevik Revolution. There's a lot of Russians in China as refugees. And like you said, this being said in China, as Americans, it does take some mental gymnastics to like, view this as yeah in this world in this time like the chinese are being oppressed by imperial powers in this city because of politics mm. but also in this country the russians are the minority right they are the immigrant minority that are also looked down upon by the majority who are like probably like the han chinese people right so which is so funny <laughs> because sometimes people online will be like oh yeah the love interest is white i'm like technically you're right i guess but also like it's so like it's just so american to say that because like it's so hard to remove the russians in china at that time from their context like they were not a majority like in the slightest so like yes that's true you can read him as white russian but like damn there was so much oppression (laughs) yeah and what was really what what I really enjoyed about the book is also your cast of characters because you were able to fit in a ton of people because this is Shanghai 1920s right an international city there were so many people from different ethnicities a lot of people from different backgrounds and also different um like you you fit in 
uh, like quite a bit of like LGBTQ representation there without making it like the focus. Mm-hmm. They were just characters that were, you know, there's a trans character, a couple of characters that I think were gay. Um, and they were so well written into the story that it wasn't something that like drew your attention away from the story when they appeared. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. And the fact that, um, you know, like Marshall and Benedict, they're based on Mercutio and Benvolio. And they have such short stage time in the original play because the original play takes place in a span of a couple days, maybe like a week, I think. Um, So like, what was your process like fleshing out uh, all of the side characters and making them your own? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in the sense that like, not all of my characters were like, you know, like, straight characters like that was like completely something I had to go in doing because I was like this is like first of all it just wouldn't be reflective if they were all straight because that's just like not real life and like going back to the fact that this is like a young adult book like I know that there are like teenagers out there who want to see themselves like represented and that was absolutely like something I had to do especially given like a lot of the cast is Asian too and there's such a lack of representation in like Asian queer characters so that was just it it had to it had to happen um but like with the side characters I think so many of them they I plotted them out as if they were main characters because I knew I wanted to know them as well as I did like Roma and Juliet even though they didn't have like the same amount of stage time so it honestly like the process was just so similar even like depending on like what character it was like I would always look to the original play first and see what the like core trait of that character is because like in doing a retelling like I really want to engage with like the original characters and then make something out of it rather than like just completely reinventing the wheel so well Kathleen and Rosalind are new but Marshall and Benedict were like based on Benvolio and Mercutio so I took like what I really loved from the original character and then like I kind of expanded outward from there because it wasn't enough for me just to like take the original and kind of like make them just a bit like like put them in the book more because the original characters are like suited for the stage so they're like they tended to be more um well flat's not the right word but like they didn't have the same amount of backstory because that wasn't like their use when they're on like a stage for a short amount of time so when I turn it like into like a novel setting it it was more like okay well how do I take what was originally a stage character and then adapt them better for the novel yeah Rira, how, what did you think about the uh the Korean representation in the story <laughs> um i i was really surprised but also i i thought oh this makes sense because there were a lot of koreans living in russia Mm -hmm. and they were kicked out by um by pretty much like the government because they they were saying like they're the reason why like russia is suffering and it's like oh okay it's like the same narrative of blame the immigrants blame the minority (laughs) group for uh for the economy and just like um yeah so i was just like okay it makes sense but i'm also like very surprised that there's like this korean russian in in this book 
And uh, but it just like all made sense, you know, because of Shanghai at the time and all of the ethnic mm-hmm. groups. So I was I was really grateful for for that bit of representation. <laughs> I love that you made him kind of like a warrior poet type of character who like kind of has this like um, poetic outlook on on things. Yeah, I, I de- that was definitely a lot of the Mercutio influence as well because Mercutio in the play is like, he will not shut up. Like he will <laughs> muse about everything. And I was like, this is this will be Marshall's core personality as well. I, I'm glad that uh, Tybalt was in, in your book, Tyler. It, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> because I was like, oh, Tyler dies so quickly in, in the play. But, you know, he was such a little piece of shit so <laughs> so i'm glad that you kept that uh personality trait and that tyler has and that tyler has like a bigger role in your book and um that you know that be- because of all of the political tension that's happening um it's really easy to just have like i i guess just like have one main villain but I was really glad that you had a villain within uh, within each gang, an antagonist in each gang. So it made the story more interesting. And um, uh, you you said that this uh, this is a duology, um, mm-hmm. and because the play takes place in such a short amount of time, I just have to ask: like, was it difficult stretching out the timeline because so much happens? happened between like the 1920s to like the 1940s in in china and you know like just the thought of stretching out a shakespeare play in in like a matter of years it's kind of it's an interesting concept yeah i think in that like it i made it easier on myself because i definitely stray from the play a lot more so it's almost in terms of plot i guess the the duology and the play is almost like unrecognizable. Like I definitely, I take a lot of like core events that will happen, but then I like refigured it so much so that like in terms of the progression of plot, it's like the original Romeo and Juliet is like almost nowhere to be seen in the duology, which made it a lot easier. But then like I had the obstacle of like the historical timeline because like since this is like, historical fantasy even though i did add like a lot of like completely made up elements like the scarlet gang the white flowers never existed in real life neither did a monster obviously (laughs) so like even though i made up so much i also wanted to like stick to the historical component because like you know if there was no reason for me to change it i didn't really want to change it too much so um things like a lot of the like protests in Shanghai at the time, like because it was like, there was such heavy political revolt against like the um, British and the French powers. There were like real, real time um, protests and strikes. And with that, I wanted to make sure like my timeline fit with it. So it was definitely like a lot of headaches and trying to, um, move things around because on a craft level like I remember one of my earliest drafts like my agent was like well I I like this but it it kind of reads like a textbook in this chapter and I was like you know what 
you are absolutely right. <laughs> I did write that with a textbook open in front of me. <laughs> so like there were many times where I would have to like cut a lot of like bigger protest scenes because I was trying to write it to a complete timeline and it just wasn't working because, you know, like real life doesn't match with like, like, like story arcs like very well. So it, there were times where I would just have to like back away from um, bigger, like historical, like pinpoints. But otherwise I, I tried my best to like stick to the vibe of the time more so than like actual on this day, this happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of um, the monster, um, I feel like we've gone we've gone about forty five minutes without talking about one of the key <laughs> story elements of this book, which is it's kind of like a supernatural thriller as well, because there is a literal monster prowling the streets of Shanghai, like causing people to go berserk. Um, I guess what was your what led you to add this element to the story? Because you could have told a whole story just based on the blood feud, but like you also add in this mm. kind of um horror element to it that really um you know raises the stakes. I think like on that, like for sure a huge part of it was me being like, I like books with high stakes and therefore <laughs> I will put in something with high stakes. But it was also like the more that I brainstormed about it, it was almost like the um the conflict of this book isn't the conflict of book one at least isn't the blood feud yet because it was like i'd introduced these two gangs at war but it wasn't um it wasn't like where my interest was at, at yet because in terms of the character arcs like Romeo and juliet hadn't had enough time like grappling with each other on a personal level yet so that's why um the blood feud plays a lot more significance um in the second half of the story which then became book two so when book one was sort of like shifting into shape um the monster like so to get english majory i like believe in like death of the author and that like what i say about like things that aren't on page doesn't really like count but like when people ask me about it like i have no problem being like like when i wrote it like the monster is like sort of this um it's definitely like a colonialism stand-in because it's like it's it's this thing that like you know tears through the city and like kills kills people like in dramatic waves and like when you find out where it came from like the links kind of like click into place about like who is to blame who is the one like setting this upon the city so it was like very much just like this like parallel story thing i was trying to go for about like you know, at this time, who is letting things happen? Who is, you know, um, who is, who is causing the destruction? I guess <laughs> I want to say, as someone who you know is interested in this time period, and when all was revealed, and I want to reveal because it's a huge spoiler, but it made sense to me. Like I was like, oh, that I can totally see where Chloe's head was in this in <laughs> this monster because it is it is a huge allegory to like what happened to china during this time period mm, yeah it also freaked me and out I, quite a lot because i'm afraid of bugs and there are a lot of oh bugs in this book and i was like no <laughs> yeah i just know i love that like so many um like asian diaspora readers have picked up on like the like parallels and links because it's just like it, it's like i'm like 
it just feels good like to be speaking to like people who just can see what i was doing <laughs> yeah we, we we picked up what you're putting down <laughs> it felt yeah. like you know it felt like receiving like a secret like brainwave from you it was pretty cool <laughs> so are you are you working on anything else during this pandemic <laughs> Oh my. I I am always writing something because I feel like I can't really like go without telling stories to myself. Like I feel like it's just how I like relax, which is kind of frightening cuz it's, it's also my job. But yeah, I am I really love like Shakespearean retellings of all sorts. So I am like plonking away at a few other like not quite yet full projects but it's they're all like in the works and and i'm like writing book two of course (laughs) yeah well if they're all it was really sorry um (laughs) i thought it was really fitting because uh in the book you have like this madness you have this plague happening and we're in the middle of covid (laughs) i know it was it's also so funny because like Because, I mean, early on, like, you learn that the epidemic is, like, contagious in the book, right? So someone asked me, oh, actually, this might be a spoiler. Oh, okay, I won't say it. But, like, (laughs) it's just funny that it's contagious. And, like, you're reading it now. Like, like, when I was rereading it and we were in a pandemic on lockdown, I was like, damn, these people should have just stayed inside. (laughs) Social distancing, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well... If your future projects are as good as these fine delights, I'm looking forward to whatever you put out in the future. Um, Yeah. Well, it's a wonderful book that's coming out on November 17th. Um, Chloe, congratulations on a successful debut. Um, I don't want to jinx it, but I'm sure this will do very well. (laughs) I'm very excited about it. Um, Yeah, it's (laughs) such a great story. And I think it just hits on so many cylinders. Like there's action, there's suspense and the love story ain't bad neither. Um, I was really rooting for these kids, you know, and um, I, I hope you, in the second book, you don't torture them as much as this book, but I don't know. I feel it's Romeo and Juliet. So I'm not getting my hopes up. Um, uh, if people want to find out more about your thoughts or follow you on social media, where can they go? They can find me. I'm at the Chloe Gong on just about everything. Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok. I'm everywhere. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with us, Chloe. Um, good luck on your, I imagine you're going to have a ton of virtual book tour stuff to do um, in November and October. Um, so good luck on all that. Um, and congratulations, really. Thank you. Thank you. This was great. <laughs> thank you guys so much. And that was Chloe Gong. The per book again is These Violent Delights, available at booksellers everywhere on November 17th. Thank you again to Chloe for chatting with us and um, and definitely go pick up her book when it comes out. It's definitely worth reading. Um, uh, if you're planning on picking up this book, uh, just so you know, there is some, there there is violence. I mean, if you haven't inferred that from the title, uh <laughs> There's violence and there's a bit of uh, gore in it, so just just so you know before picking it up. Yeah, and <laughs> it's not a straight up romance adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. There's definitely no, definitely um, not. And some, um, also, this body is a duology. Elements. This is a duology, so it's going to end on kind of a cliffhanger. So oh, it's prepared. so frustrating because I want to know what happens to these kids. 
See, I did not know that this was a duology until I reached the end. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying to spare you guys from um, the feeling that I got of, wait, that's it? I have to wait a year? <laughs> Tables will be flipped. <laughs> yeah. So keep yeah. that in mind. Don't forget our November 2020 book club pick is Ignite the Stars by Maura Milan. We'll be discussing that book at the end of the month, so uh, please read along. And that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Chloe Gong. Thank you to Chloe for chatting with us. And thank you to Rira for doing this with me every week. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Thanks a lot for listening. Um, We'll see you next time on Books and Boba. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about The Collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, We've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.